Real Goddess, Discovering Your Divine Destiny by Cherie Sandal, Episode 3, Perfectionism. Real Goddess is the most important thing you can know about in your life. And because I believe it so strongly, my goal is to awaken one million potential goddesses to their divine destiny. A wise man said that in this current day and age, women will be seen as different and distinct in the happiest of ways, and that a large gathering of women will rise up in strong numbers, dividing the wicked from the good. And I'm here to rope you in, sister. Perfect. Oh, that's perfect. We hear it all the time. Perfect. In fact, it's a word that's starting to annoy me more and more. You want two loaves of bread? Perfect. Your credit card expires on such and such date? Perfect. You want to check out five books from the library? Perfect. You hear this response from everybody, and I think, why do they keep bringing up this perfect thing? Because perfect is a really great recipe for anxiety. Let's rewind back to my childhood when I was growing up. I would put together little musical numbers and skits and activities with costumes and songs that I wrote for my brothers and sisters to do as they performed this little production for my family and sometimes for the neighborhood. And I wanted it to be perfect. And in my eight-year-old eyes, it was perfect. And later on, I'd look back at some of the costumes that I made and they were frayed I didn't know anything about sewing the edges, and so we had frayed edges, and I had glued on sparkles and sequins and didn't know how to sew or anything like that. But to me, in my eight-year-old eye, it looked perfect. But I had a younger sister who sometimes would say to me, why does everything have to be so perfect? And she was rather annoyed by this. I didn't know why it shouldn't be perfect. Why should it not be? If I was going to put on a production in my eight-year-old mind, why would I do anything less than the very best possible way I could see it? So as I got to be older and go to church and follow commandments and do everything that I thought I was supposed to, I reveled in the idea of perfectionism. I thought, well, of course, that's what we're hoping for one day is perfectionism. And so we are told by God that we're supposed to be like him, be therefore perfect, even as your father in heaven is perfect. And so I didn't see a problem with the word perfectionism. I was just trying to make heaven on earth already. And then I was reading in a book one day, this book was about self-defeating behaviors and it mentioned a list of some of these behaviors that don't serve us. And one of them was perfectionism. And as I read over that word, I thought, uh, that must be a typo. They must not really have meant to include perfectionism. What are they saying that perfectionism is a bad thing? That's how you become a goddess, is through perfection. And perfectionism, I, I don't get it. That was my first introduction to being perfect, not being a very perfect way to be. So then I've heard all sorts of ideas about perfectionism, and most of them are negative. Oh, well, you don't want to have to try to be too perfect because that's what causes people to commit suicide when they can't be perfect enough. 
So then I was listening to a podcast by one of my mentors the other day, and she had a comment about perfectionism compared to what she figured was the answer. And I was really excited for her answer to perfectionism. She says that perfectionism is harsh with unrealistic expectations and that it doesn't foster good relationships and that we want to avoid perfectionism and that her answer is commitment. That when you have commitment to something, that is what matters because it's relentless in a way that will help you. So you may want to do something perfectly, but if you are just simply committed and just follow through and do it, that alone is enough. As I listened to her answer for perfectionism being commitment, I found myself disagreeing. Because as a perfectionist myself, I have found that commitment can be overwhelming. If you are a person who in the past has wanted to have perfectionism, you wanted everything to be perfect, and then you instead go to commitment, then that actually is even worse of a burnout because you are committed to something even maybe when you shouldn't be in the hopes of doing something that may end up just heading toward perfection anyway. So I didn't like the answer of commitment because it can lead to burnout. So my idea on top of commitment, let's say you start at perfectionism and you're just trying to do everything perfect and then you decide, well, at least I can be committed I'll do this thing every week that I have said that I wanted to do to accomplish a goal. And it doesn't have to be perfect, but I will at least be committed so that when I feel like I don't want to do it, I'm still going to do it. Like recording this podcast today, I was thinking, well, there's some other things that I've wanted to do, but I told myself I'm going to be doing a weekly podcast. So I'm going to do it because this is the day that I said I was going to do it. But there's also the third element that I add on to this in a way that can make a happy harmony between these three, perfection, commitment, and the third is compassion. And that is both to yourself and to others. For example, on some days I say, well, I am committed to doing this thing and you try to do it and the end of the day comes and you didn't do it and you say well maybe I'll do it the next day and you try the next day and you still didn't do it for me now what that means is I issue compassion I say well I was committed to do it and I'm not going to get down on myself because I didn't do it I'm going to issue myself compassion which is really weird because when you start to give yourself such great compassion you start to allow it for other people So I think there's a real connection there between if we can give ourselves mercy and whether we can allow other people to also have mercy. Because usually we're not saying, well, I can do it this way, but you can't. When you understand that it's okay for you to maybe fail somewhere, it's okay for someone else to fail somewhere too. But here's another thought. I've been introduced to the idea of energy types. And this is a concept that was revealed to Carol Tuttle that she believes was inspired. And I've heard lots of different ways of classifying different types of people in their personalities. And this is the one that seems to hold up no matter what. I've taken Myers-Briggs tests and Enneagram and um, Strength Finders. I've taken a lot of different kind of personality tests. Yet through the years, they can change. And so 
in this Carol Tuttle energy profiles, she divides it into four types. And I happen to be a type four. And the type four is someone who looks for perfection. They are reflective. They are all or nothing in their thinking. So I identify with perfection. Like to me, that just makes me feel really happy when something is perfect. Let me tell you the other types because it might help other people who say, oh, perfectionism isn't important. Commitment is important or whatever it might be. So the four types, first of all, type one is the bright, happy, fun person. And they're the person who just put a smile on your face. And they're also the people who are random in their thinking and they may even let you down. But I can always tell a type one when they have let me down and the next time I'm around them, I feel happy again. Then I realize it wasn't about our relationship. It's just who they are. They are just so flighty and fun and uh, spontaneous that they may not remember their commitment. It's interesting too because there are various types of birds that can be assigned to these types. And the bird that matches with the type 1 energy type is the hummingbird flitting from one rose or flower to the next and just uh, quick and bright. The second type, type 2, is your connected, soft, flowing, comfortable person. And I can always tell when I'm around a type two because I start to feel calm in their presence. And I feel a connection with them. And the world just seems a lot slower around these kind of people. Not that they're not bright as far as smartness. They can still be very smart, but in a more connected way. Like, they're very detail-oriented, and so they can be the smarts maybe behind something in technology where they have enough patience and detail to be able to find the programming and all of the codes and anything that might go into it. And the kind of bird that matches with the Type 2 is a dove, a soft, loving, comfortable dove. The type three is your dynamic, push forward, and abundant person. And I can know I'm around a type three when I feel motivated and pushed and excited and on task. These people want to conquer the world and they have got all the energy to do it. I used to think that I was a type three because I was pushed forward also, but it was in a way that was actually a weakness to push myself to find perfection. So when I finally realized that type three was not at all what I was about, their animal is a hawk. Imagine this hawk swooping down and just grabbing its prey and taking off and on to the next thing. So they are determined. That hawk is determined to do whatever it's going to do. But I felt such a calmness when I actually settled into my type four perfect, reflective, all-or-nothing thinking, which animal, the bird, that it relates to is a swan. And that swan will glide along on a perfectly smooth surface of water with a mountain reflected behind it and a tree in that reflection that is symmetrical and the moonlight in the sky casting the light onto the water that creates this reflection. Once I was able to settle into type 4, 
I felt like I had finally come home. And that's where you'll know where you feel like you are where you are is because it feels like your home instead of the wounded type that you might have identified with initially. So if I am a type four and I like things to be perfect, then I would like to argue, why shouldn't I seek for perfection? Well, I know also that you can reach that burnout So I have to be careful of not doing so much that it becomes imbalanced. One way that I like to think of it, when someone says, why does everything have to be so perfect? And can't you just say that this is good enough? Do we really need to get it perfect? This is the way that my mind thinks. Let me explain it by a hobby that I've been doing lately is I've been excited about puzzles. And it's been a long time since I've done puzzles, but when you get a nice challenging puzzle with a lot of colors and it's fairly good, anywhere between 500 and 1,000 pieces, it's really fun for me to be able to put that puzzle together. And of course, I always do something productive like listening to a podcast or something in the background, a class that I'm taking that I'm listening to. So I'm killing two birds with one stone, which to me is just like perfection. You're doing two things with their different ways of using your brain and your hands and your intellect and your creativity, and it just seems to work for me. As I'm putting together a puzzle, my greatest fear is that somehow a puzzle piece will be missing. Like maybe it got dropped on the ground somewhere and someone picked it up and who knows where it is. Or it inadvertently didn't make it into the puzzle box. Or sometimes I'll get thrift store puzzles and I just hope that a child didn't take one piece of the puzzle out before they put it into the donation box. So far I've been lucky. But if the last piece wasn't there, would you just say, oh well, that's okay. It doesn't have to be perfect. Why are you so concerned that it be perfect? Now, anyone could see that something's missing from that puzzle. And in fact, I could see perhaps a type one thinking that it's an artistic way of expressing themselves to show a beautiful puzzle and then have one piece missing. Like it just kind of grates at you, but it could be like a dramatic way of kind of reaching our senses and emotions of, oh, wow, I really wish I had that last piece there. But I think generally people would say, Oh, well, it's not complete. That puzzle isn't done. Whereas some people might say, well, if a task isn't done to a certain degree, then it's okay. But the perfectionist in others might say, well, it's just not done. And I believe that's the way that I see it, is it's not perfect. It's not that there's nothing else I can't do to it because it's reached a final stage of satisfaction that can't be reached any farther. It's just that it's done like that last piece. So the other types, that type one, type two, type three, would have different ways of looking at it to just say, well, don't worry about it. It's not perfect, but it's good enough. There are definitely some things that I could take as a type four from their advice And I'll tell you what some of those things might be. But first of all, before I tell you five ways of how I have learned how to expect what I want from something, but not become overwhelmed by the perfectionistic attitude of it, 
I first want to tell you, though, how perfect could serve me and anyone else who may have this ideal of just having that puzzle piece in correctly. So what I've decided, what it means is that when I do something and I haven't diluted my energies or resources too thinly, then I am going to have a critical eye that is truly good enough. So let's say someone wants a painting done and they want it done well. I am going to be of the mindset that I am going to do them a good job, either go all the way or go home. That's the way that I feel in my mind. When I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do a good job, or the latest version of myself has been saying, or I will learn how to not even take that on. My old version of myself would try to take a lot of things on and not get any of them to perfection which would be frustrating to me. So now I'm learning how to say, I am not going to do this thing because I know I'm not going to get it to where I want it to be. And I'm going to rely on somebody else for that. Whereas now I say, I am going to do this puzzle and I'm going to get it done all the way to the end. Or I've decided I'm going to take up photography and perhaps paint up photography and I'm going to do a good job. I'm not just going to do a medium enough job. I am going to do a good job. And that's what you can expect from someone who has their priorities in alignment, who expects perfectionism. I think it can be perfectly fine as long as it's not running you over and not being a problem with your love and acceptance of other people. Because I can say I want something to be perfect, but if I see someone else who has artistry that I look at and say, that's good, someone may say that is good. And I have to accept that maybe that is what they wanted to do exactly in their eye of perfection, which to me doesn't look good enough. So do you relate to this? Is this a feeling that you've had of, well, I'm not supposed to be perfect, but I sure love that feeling. You know, consider that maybe you're a type four. Just as a side note, the four types are not something done based upon choices of would you rather do this or this like so many personality tests run by it's actually based upon the way that your body is structured your facial alignment or misalignment that sounds funny but you know like perfectly aligned eyebrows or a crooked nose or a star-shaped face there are various parts of your structure and your countenance that will reveal as well as your body language and your movements that will tell you what these types are. So for that reason, in the last 10 years since I found energy profiling, I have consistently found it to be true. And so that is the largest identifier that I use to tell what kind of people they are. So you may be this perfect person that expects perfection, but how are you not going to let that be a bad thing for you? And that's what I'm going to cover in the next five steps. So the potential goddess understands perfection in this world by the following few things that she can implement. First of all, she can't do it alone. No matter how much we might want to, we need strength from outside things to be able to keep doing the things that we would like to without spreading ourselves too thin. And I believe God sends people into our lives so that we can still be on that journey to goddess and not have to expect to do it alone. Second of all, 
understand what is good enough and being compassionate with self so that if I really do want to see perfection in something that doesn't require it, I can just let it go and just drop it or just let it be what it is and it's okay. So understanding good enough. Third, compassion for others. So seeing perspectives to lessen judgment on what you see other people not doing, which to them maybe is really good. I think about my kids when they've brought me something that they've done that they're really proud of. And from my eyes, I can see a lot of places where they could work on it and fix it and make it better. Whereas in their eyes, it's just fine. So having compassion where other people are, and like I mentioned already, that's interplaying with your own compassion for yourself. Fourth, we still hope for the ideal. Even if that means accomplishing whatever that thing is solely in your mind, that may just be good enough to be able to see that perfect world, to be able to see the end result of something that we're doing that we would like to see perfect, but we maybe don't have the resources or time or commitment to be able to really do it. We can even just see it done and feel the same satisfaction. If you haven't tried that yet, try it because it opens up a whole new world of possibilities when you can close your eyes and envision what something could be like exactly how you want it to be. It's almost like I've got to a point where I don't need that thing anymore because I can see it so well in my mind's eye that it's like I already have it. So I really don't even need to spend anything more to get that. Fifth, expect wonderful things to happen in the interim between this life's possibility of perfection and the grandeur and majesty of what will happen in the next life crowned with glory. Know that one day you will have that perfection. You will have it perfectly, just like you would love it to be here all the time. But there's the sacrifice of this life where we are learning as a trade-off for the next life where we will have it. And that's the ideal for which I aspire. And that's why I even mention anything about what the real goddess is, is because it is something to aspire for and hope for and know is going to be there. So it's just a matter of patience and perseverance and continuing in faith. It's been an enlightening discussion on perfection today. Think about what perfection means to you and how will you implement what you do in your life to what degree you decide it's worth it. I hope that you will join me in awakening one million potential goddesses to their divine destiny. Until next time, we'll see ya.